coming up this week off screen. We meet the Hateful Eight. Spend an evening in Bolshoi Babylon. Go through a war. Feel the joy with Jennifer Lawrence. And get introduced to a Danish girl. All those to come and more off screen. This is... This is off screen. Off screen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. My name is Case Allen. So we've got an interesting one uh, this week, Case, because first, first and foremost, it's the first show of 2016, uh, but we've we've wandered into a bit of an unintentional quandary, oh, yeah? which is there are only three films out this week. Uh, what, what are we to do? <laughs> what, what are we? What are we to do? So the obvious answer is we never got to review the Danish Girl and Joy because they came out on That's New Year's true. Day, yeah. And obviously we recorded our last show on was it the, the, around about the 18th? It I was think? something like Everybody, that. Yeah. It was two it days was after Star Wars. Star Wars, Star yeah. Wars week it was our last one. So of course we're going to fit. Joy and the Danish Girl in, and we've got a full show then. Amazing. So, yeah. So let's kick off with uh, Bolshoi Babylon then, yeah. uh, which is the latest by uh, Nick Reed and Mark Franchetti, who brought us that documentary, The Condemned, a couple of years ago. Oh, know. yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Well, this time they have turned their attentions to uh, the Bolshoi Ballet, the world-renowned uh, <laughs> Russian ballet, which, as we are told at the very onset of this film, which is produced by HBO, incidentally, uh, is a Russian institution. It is the worldwide representation of the the, state, the Russian state, starting all the way back in Stalin, carrying on into the Putin era. Uh, but, of course, this doesn't so much involve the ballet so much as the dark scenes behind the curtain. And this takes the form, this kicks off initially with, an attack on Sergei Filan, who is the uh, the director of ballet for the Bolshoi Ballet, uh, in which someone attacked him by essentially walking up to him and throwing acid yeah. in his face. I heard about this. 2013. It, it was about yeah. then, and this starts uh, a whole wave of changes at the at the Bolshoi Ballet. And uh, well, we have a clip. It's one of the most famous theatres and stages in the world, but it's the drama and spectacle that's unfolded offstage at the Bolshoi in recent months that's really taken people's breath away. The artistic director of Russia's world-class Bolshoi theatre, Sergei Filin, is being treated in a Moscow hospital for severe burns after a masked man threw acid in his face. The attack happened in the early hours of this morning as he returned. You see, you already look disturbed, because I know you've seen the film, so that's kind of brought back some memories for you, I think. Yeah. Now, this is the weird one. Okay, first of all, anyone who ever said that ballet was for sissies, I think really, really needs to watch this documentary. They need to rethink. They, yeah. they need to rethink their position ever so slightly, I think. Uh, this is really chilling, isn't it? Mm. This is a it's really dark. a dark, disturbing look uh, behind the curtain. Effectively, mm. you have to keep using that term "behind the curtain" because that's what it is. That's it's what it is. There's a literally whole, behind the curtain. That's it. There's the false front of of the ballet, which is uh, you know what the, what the people go. There's a guy we were, uh, we were shown an interview at one point who has attended every performance for thirty something years mm. and believes in it as a big part of his life. And well, I mean, he's kind of disturbed by the rumours that we sort of uncover over over the course of the film. So what the film does. <clears throat> I mean, aside from making the image of Joseph Starling weirdly comforting, which tells you how disturbing the film really is, um, it, it kind of juxtaposes uh, Sergei Filan's acid attack uh, with sort of an exploration of what the ballet 
has stood for, where it comes from, what it is, and what it's meant to still stand for, what it's still meant to represent. But what the ballet sort of uh, expose, what the uh, ballet sort of uh, really hides, is this corrupt, very corporate entity that we're shown in over the course of these eighty-six minutes, and it's a really harrowing story. I mean, did you expect anything like this when you started watching it? Not really. No, no you just really. you just think, oh, it's going to be a nice, simple, cool documentary about ballet. No, no, not, not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. There's a, you could fictionalise this and you'd have a pretty good Black Swan sequel. I was just about to say, it's, it's, it's really darker could. than Black Swan. It is darker than it is, Black Swan. It is black as well. But that's one. the thing, it's really well made. It's yeah. It's been made with such a sort of fitting level of grace and, and mm. precision. And there's something quite visually beautiful about the film as well. And then you've got the centre of these two characters. You've got Sergei Filan, who obviously is the, the, the victim of the acid attack that's kicked off the story mm. and you've got Vladimir Urin who is the uh, Urin? I've just said Urin Urin Vladimir Urin, Urin yeah. sorry um, who is the who comes in as the new director of the whole the whole theatre director and he is the ultimate take no prisoners director he's, he's one of those you kind of imagine Andrew Lloyd Webber's like this on a bad day <laughs> but very Russian and he has no time really for anyone yeah, no, the, tension, that's it, the tension between them yeah. builds and builds and builds until you get to you know that scene there is one scene in which they, they sort of face off and oh my God, it's it's such a great moment. Um, they, they say uh, Reed and Franchetti, who are the the directors and producers, uh, well, the co-directors on this one. They're usually director and producer. Um, they manage this really fine line between uh, the sort of grace and the darkness. And, and he delivers this really sort of unsettling tale. It is really well done. It's well worth a look. Can't recommend it highly enough. I mean, actually, would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd say I would. Okay, fair enough. So let's have a look. We've got some uh, some film news for the week. Anything happening that's worth mentioning? Uh, yeah, let's talk about Baywatch. Yes, let's talk let's about Baywatch because yeah. they, they've got a CJ Parker now. Does, it, I don't know if it, mm. does anyone besides us know who CJ Parker is? I, I, would, I would say a few people probably do or can remember the 90s. Can remember because yeah. she was the Pamela Anderson character. She, she was, was the yeah. most famous of the Baywatch girls. Mm. And this was really interesting because this news came out that this model, Kelly Rohrbeck, has been cast as CJ Parker. And what they did in the process was they unintentionally also revealed that Alexandra Daddario from uh, San Andreas yep. and True Detective yep. and Percy Jackson, uh, who'd already been cast, uh, she's playing Summer Quinn. So they revealed that. Oh, really? So basically, what you're getting are the 90s characters. They are actually bringing them back. So my hope now is, does that mean that Dwayne Johnson it's is off. Mitch Buchanan? That'd be fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just give us one shot of, like, you know, flashback shot of, like, the rock with the, 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 the curls. That's the thing. Is, is Dwayne going to have hair? Well, yeah, if it's a modern set movie, the rock will not have hair. But, yeah, uh, yeah I would I'd say, possibly. So shall we, uh, shall we crack on with the, uh, the box office top ten, then, for the yeah, week? Yeah, let's do it. Number 10. Branagh Theatre Live, The Winter's Tale. This is kind of Branagh's uh, theatre production. Well, I've not, I've not seen it because they don't really the- they don't really press screen the uh, the National Theatre stuff. No, so um, I know that this has uh, Dame Judi Dench. Oh, is this the, is this the Judi Dench I one? believe that this is it, yeah. This is the uh, one that she's in. Okay, well, I, I've not had the pleasure, but no, never mind. I'm sure I'll catch it next time. Number 9. Spectre. Spectre. Now this is this is uh, sort of plummeting out of the chart now. Really, I think yeah. uh, it's got some legs though. It has well, had some it legs. Obviously, yeah. had the bulk of its legs over Christmas, and that's sort of passed now. And I think we've all seen Spectre. We all know what the gist is. And mm. there is some film news later actually about Spectre and its yes, follow-up. I, I think you might I have know heard what it. That is. Um, yeah. I found it quite underwhelming in the face, or in the, sort of the aftermath of Skyfall. Yeah. 
And uh, Skyfall was actually on over Christmas. I should have to revisit yeah. that. And uh, no, Spectre just does not match up at all. It's kind of all over the place. Tonally, it's very uneven. Mm. Ultimately, I wasn't particularly won over by it. And I thought that was a shame because Skyfall was so streamlined and so good. Number eight. The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2, Percy Jackson, Divergent, uh, YA Fiction. Well, you know what? It's over now. Uh, so uh, leave it be. Uh I suppose it's, it's, it's an ending, isn't it? And it, if you like the others, you'll like this. I don't think this is a patch. The final two parts, if we take them as one film, I don't think they're a patch mm. on the likes of uh, Catching Fire, which was obviously I think that is the best. That is, that is yeah. the best. And, uh, well, Philip Seymour Hoffman, you, you, we, will, we will miss you fondly. And, uh, well, it was nice to just have that reminder of him, wasn't it? In the, yeah, just have him back one last time. One last time. Number seven. In the Heart of the Sea. Did you get the chance to watch this one? No, I still haven't. I wanted to see it in a big, shiny, massive IMAX screen. I've not had the pleasure. Oh, there is yet. a certain uh, space-based conflict, I think, taking that uh, up. Yeah, space battles. Space battles. Space battles. Space battles. The battles. force is still asleep. The force is still asleep, exactly. And, uh, well, I, I liked Into the in the Heart of the Sea, Into the Sea. I liked In the Heart of the Sea, although I did think it was kind of all over the place. Was it a castaway tale? Was it a whale? Was it a Moby Dick story? I don't quite know. Mm. It was very well acted. It's a Ron Howard film, so it's, of course, very well directed. It just looks... Stunning. It looks stunning. On the trailers, anyway. Well, on the trailers, yeah. it does. And, uh, but you know, on the whole, you, you look at it and you think, okay, it, it's all right. It's not much more than that. I wish it was about one thing or the other instead of just this sort of conglomerated mess. Number six. The Good Dinosaur. Pixar Part 2. Pixar, Pixar Part 2 2012. For, for, for last year. Well, for last year now, yeah. of course it is. Um, which I like. It, it's a very weird little film, though. It's kind of, a, it's, it's it's half Land Before Time, half Western. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's odd in that way. Cowboy uh, Dinosaurs. Did you get the chance to see it then? Uh, yeah, I have seen you, it. You have yeah. So, did, what do you mean? It's not a patch on Inside Out, is it? No, but like we've said, as we were saying, all of 2015, hey man, we're getting two films by Pixar. So that's, that, that's better than nothing. That's, yeah, it's very true. I'd rather have one great Pixar film and one that's just decent than you know no Pixar films or two half-decent ones. At least we got one that was great. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. So, should we, we going to start with next? Do you want to do we're Joy? Start with Joy. Start with Joy, which is the uh, well. This is the 2016 David O. Russell film. Because are they coming annually now? Like, they seem to come out annually, usually on New Year's Day. You, usually on New Year's yeah. Day. We had uh, we, we had a, a break, I think, in 2014, didn't we? For after American Hustle, I think or, or it, it, was, it was 2015. Yeah, yeah 2015 2014 off. was American Hustle. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So this is uh, well, what to say about Joy? This is let's say the latest David O. Russell period piece on. Ensemble drama starring his chosen cast, which is of course Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper, Robert De Niro. Uh, I think Jeremy Renner was busy this time, so they've got an as Edgar- was Christian Bale. Exactly, yeah. they've got a uh, Edgar. Is it Edgar Ramirez? Edgar Ramirez. Edgar Ramirez in for the. What, I like him. What presumably is the the Bradley uh, the Jeremy Renner role. Yeah. And uh, what you've got is the uh, supposedly based on a true story of a young woman who is uh, a childhood prodigy, a childhood genius, who comes up with a million ideas a minute, great inventions, could change the world, none of them ever get patented, and they all get wasted. And then one day, having been downtrodden for so long, she finally gives in and decides, you know what, I'm going to pursue one of these. And what she pursues is what we now know as the Miracle Mop. And you may not know it by name, but when you actually see it in action, you're like, oh, it's that That's thing. what that is, yeah. Did you, did you have that moment as well? We're like, oh, 
missed that one. I, I already knew what it was. Did you already I know what a miracle mile was? Well, you a clever boy. <laughs> well, obviously, uh, what she soon finds out is that uh, simply inventing the product is only half the battle, <laughs> and that once you achieve a certain level of success, there's a lot more clawing and backbiting that you have to withstand before you can really succeed. Here's a clip. I'm sorry the product didn't sell. That man didn't know what he was doing, Neil. Well, it wasn't the man, Joy. It was the product. I made 50,000 units because you told me to. I mortgaged my house. I'm in $200,000 of debt. More. Well, it's your business. It's your debt. And we identify up to a third if you read your contract. To be honest, that's even going to be hard to get. Neil, you got to give us another chance. I'm so sorry, Julie. I just can't bring it to my boss. I can't. I can't accept your answer. I can't. And I won't. So this is the requisite, as I say, requisite period piece, David O. Russell film. And, uh, well, what you get this time is a bit of a feministic twist on proceedings. So obviously the, the beneficiary of said uh, feministic twist would be Ms. Lawrence, and who I need to stop calling Jennifer Lopez, just the record. Yeah, and you did. I, I yeah. did earlier. Yeah. Um, so Jennifer Lawrence receives the benefit of the, the feministic twist. And uh, to be fair, she really runs with it. She does a great job. She puts in a terrific performance here. And it's one of those performances that you think, okay, yeah, I can see you. You are still the young Meryl Street. That's fine. Go and get your nomination. It's all good, Jenny. Go on. And I really feel like that all the way through. There is this feeling that you are watching a product because I think he's just got to a stage where he's just refined this process with this cast so much that he winds up creating one of his biggest downfalls, which is in particular Robert De Niro, who his presence in it feels so obligatory. He just feels like we have this dad character. Uh, don't bother looking around. We'll just get we'll just get Robert mm-hmm. to do it. And as a result, what you get is Robert De Niro turning up and doing what Robert De Niro does. And as a result of the standard Robert De Niro performance, the character is really muddled, and he's a very integral character. So what you get is you want someone like a William H. Macy or an Alan Arkin who's either one end of the spectrum or the other. And what you get is Robert De Niro in the middle. And because of the way Robert De Niro acts, the character is really confusing. Is he simply inept? Is he manipulative? I can't quite tell. And yet the story doesn't seem to have that ambiguity to it. It seems Mm. to be something created entirely by this weirdly miscast, out-of-obligation performance. And it overshadows other better performances in the film, like, for instance, Edgar Ramirez, who's really enjoyable as Definitely this sort of... Definitely it, I think. Yeah. Sleaze more ex-husband, isn't he? Yeah. You can see Jeremy Renner in there. All the Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And then Bradley Cooper, who's got a lot, very polished performance. It's, it's very much a sort of, I'm showing up with the pearly yeah. whites. It's it's almost like a cameo, isn't it? He's not in it for very long. He's not, he's not... I wouldn't say he's much of a supporting player. It is an extended yeah, cameo. it's like, and Bradley Cooper. It is. Um, it is uneven, and it is totally misjudged, and that's really what you ultimately take away from the film because you have these scenes which are a sort of John Waters-esque look at the American dream, you know, the, mm. the self-made millionaire type story and it's done in this great, almost zany John Waters-like way. There are scenes which is at QVC. There are like kind of dream sequences they feel there are, they feel yeah. They feel like a John Waters film. You think, okay, you've, oh, done, yeah, definitely. you've done a very good job with this, great. But then David Russell's script, which because he's written this one as well, this yeah, is all him, yeah. it keeps taking it 
back to this weird, weirdly misjudged kitchen sink dynamic uh, with Robert De Niro, who of course can't really sell you on what his character's meant to be. Uh, Elizabeth Rome, who knew she was still around, by the way, as the... Uh, is, that, is that the sister? That's the sister, Elizabeth That's Rome. Peggy, she plays Peggy, yeah. She plays, yeah, yeah. Kate, Kate Lockley from Angel plays, <laughs> plays Peggy, yeah. Because that's all anyone recognises And, from and Isabella Rossellini. And Isabella Rossellini. Yeah. Uh, Rossellini gets a lot of scenery to chew. She does, yeah. She really does. Who was it played the grandmother as well? Because I, was it Diane Weiss? It's, it's Diane Ladd. Diane Ladd. Yeah. I was Diane Weiss and Diane Ladd confused. <laughs> it's, it's Diane Weiss. <laughs> Diane Ladd as the yeah. grandmother Mimi. A lot of fun. And that's the problem. It's that tonal misjudged thing. If it all stayed in the John Waters realm, I think we'd be a lot happier with it. But as a result, it just feels like a waste. It feels like you've got these performances which should be better used and they're not. And it's a shame because Jennifer Lawrence is really damn good in it. So, oh, we've got to talk about Hasbro. That's that's kind of a biggie this week. What's going on with Hasbro? Did you not hear about Hasbro? I did not know. Hasbro, it turns out, back in September, uh, released a Monopoly set for Star Wars The Force Awakens. I have heard about this. Yes, <laughs> and they, well, they, they omitted a character from it who has now turned out to be the most popular character in the film. Well, of course. Who is Daisy Ridley's yeah. character of Rey. Who is amazing. And it's being used as the latest example of let's exclude the girl character. Hashtag where's Rey. Yeah, hashtag where's Rey, yeah. And uh, Hasbro have issued a statement explaining it. Have you heard yeah. this? Yeah, I have, yeah, which it, is stupid. It's, we, we've excluded her purely for spoiler reasons. No, no, that, that doesn't that make any true. sense. So why no. is Luke Skywalker part of the set? Why is, why is yeah, Darth Vader yeah, in there? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Never mind. And But yeah. they, they are actually bringing out a new Monopoly they are, with her. They're, they're reissuing yeah. it with her later in the yes, year. So I can't I can't help but feel that feels like a sort of in hindsight kind of a deal. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, so before we go to the break then, let's look at uh, A War, which is the uh, latest film by Danish director uh, Tobias Lindholm. I don't know if you're aware of him. Tobias Lindholm. He was the writer of hijacking, and he was was the writer of the hunt as well. No way. Do you remember? Do you remember the hunt with yeah, uh, Mads. Mads Mikkelsen? Yeah. yeah. So he's written. He's written and directed this one. Uh, this is the story of uh, Klaus Peterson, who is the uh, Danish troop commander of a platoon in Afghanistan, who starts to go out on on more and more patrols when a young member, as a reaction to one of his younger troops being killed, mm. and uh, before long he finds himself. Well, in the meanwhile, you've also got uh, his wife back home, struggling, sort of being the single parent kind of a thing, and she's holding things together at home, he's over in the war and then they are brought together round about the halfway point of the movie when Klaus is charged with breaking the rules of engagement uh, however inadvertently and murdering civilians and finds himself on trial basically for murder I mean, in a court-martial as it were uh, we haven't got a clip obviously because it is in Danish so that, that kind of would be uh, kind of lost on, on a lot of our audience I think uh, but I will say this um, this is there's a pair of great performances in here and I'm going to have to have a real difficult time pronouncing this I'm name I'm not sure what his name is he's, yeah. he's, 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 he's from got, hijacking yeah. right so Pilar I'm going to say Asbake yeah, but that sounds Pilar Asbeck yeah. and uh, and uh, Novotny, uh, Tuva Novotny, Tuva Novotny, who plays Maria, his wife. They are both absolutely terrific in this. This is uh, Tobias Lindholm's fourth adventure as director, though he's written an awful lot more. So he's very mm. much a writer who's sort of gone to directing. Um, here, he's trying his hand again, and do you know what? Perfectly judged. He's got um, a reunion with the cinematographer here, Magnus Dordenhoff Jonk, and you know what? The pair deliver something they really work spectacular. Really well together. They do. 
do work really well together. Uh, however, it is Pillow uh, as Bake's performance as Klaus that really makes it. It's a really moving, really touching performance and a great drama that I cannot recommend highly enough. It is a seriously great film. And it does overcome the language barrier as well. So if you're one of those people who's sort of off-put by subtitled films, mm. if, you, if you kind of feel a bit concerned, I'm not really going to get it because I'm sat there reading rather than enjoying, uh, the performance has come through regardless of that language barrier and it is really gripping, really tense, really moving and really emotional. I can't recommend it highly enough. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back. So, is it time for Eddie? Yeah. Well, it was New it's, Year- it's another it's another year it's another Oscar season. Well, we, we got to New Year's Day yeah. and we thought, "Where's Eddie? Where uh, is he? He needs <laughs> to get his second We thought, "Where's Eddie? It's New Year's Day. <laughs> He's not here." You know, we had that, all that fun yeah. last year with him and theory of everything. Yeah. So we need him back. Everybody watched Michael Keaton put his Oscar speech back in yeah, his pocket. Exactly. So yeah. we need Eddie, and you know what? Here he is. He's back. And this time he's the Danish girl. He is. And he's working with Tom Hooper, who brought us uh, King's Speech and Les Mis. Les Mis. Les Mis. Les Miserables. Uh, Les Miserables. Cheer yeah. up, Les. And uh, Dave always used to say that when he started this. You'd say Les Mis. Cheer up, Les. Cheer up, Les. And uh, so what you've got now, this is uh, based on the the true story. Well, based on the true story. It isn't exactly the true story. It's based on the yeah. true story. It's a fictionalised account of the recipient of the world's first sex change operation. Mm. Um, and Eddie Redmayne plays um, the, the uh, plays one half of a married couple of sort of not bohemian but societally regarded artists. They seem to be doing quite well for they themselves. Seem to be, for yeah. artists, they live they were very well. Really well, nice house, <laughs> really well. Yeah. And uh, his wife, obviously, is played by uh, Alicia Vikander, who is you know the it girl of the moment. She was in about twenty seven films last year. I think she like was. Yeah, yeah, she really. And she was. was great in all of them. She was, and I hope she gets a nomination for this. I'm, I'm sure, sure that she, I think she will. I think this will be the cap off to this a third year for her. Um, however, so what you've got is a, a bohemian artist couple. Um, they, he, the wife dresses him up as a female model when the female model is unable to attend one day. And as far as she's concerned, inadvertently starts a trend whereby he starts to embrace the woman within. Mm. and it ad- adopts a whole new personality. He actually seems to come up with a character named Lily that he decides he wants to be full-time. But before long, being Lily starts to affect being Einar, uh, his, his, his everyday persona, and, well, we have a clip. God, is it your sight? Where did it go, well? Tell me, how was it? You'd know if you'd been there. I, I made us a supper. You should have come. A little sort of celebration. This is not how it goes. We do these things together. That was you and I now. Stop playing that stupid, stupid game. Please, Gerda. Don't you think this is a game? You should have been there. How could I? Look at me. Not everything is about you. I need to see Einar. Let me help, please. I need my husband. Can you get him? I can't. I need to talk to my husband. I need to hold my husband. I need him. God, you just get him. Can you at least try? So I was listening to the BBC Woman's Hour the other day. Uh, don't ask me why. I was like, I was just driving to the corner shop. I was shop. totally going to ask you why. <laughs> I was just driving to the corner shop and it was on the radio. Yeah. And uh, there was this uh, weird, weird moment in which they said, 2050 was the year, and this was the quote, that trans went mainstream. 
Which I thought... Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, yeah, because that was what yeah. I thought. Okay, it was strange to... But okay, fair enough. So yes, in the year of Caitlyn Jenner and uh, the first trans model at Madame Tussauds, who is the actress course, from yeah. Orange is the New Black. Mm. And of, you, and you think, well, because of course, yes, it She's was. She's amazing. What's her name? Uh, do you know, I forget offhand. Yeah. Is it Laverne something? Is it Laverne Cox? I think it is. I think it is Laverne Cox. A great actress. Turned up in Grandma with uh, Lily Tomlin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, yes. So, very much the year transport mainstream. So, with that in mind, between Alicia Vikander, who was the It Girl of 2015, Mm. Eddie Redmayne, the best actor of 2015, uh, trademark the Academy, (laughs) and the whole transgender element, you think, wow, you really could cut with much more of a zeitgeist movie if you tried. (laughs) And that's what this is. Very much a zeitgeist movie. And You've got Tom Hooper, who was, you know, the Zeitgeist director of 2010? Was it King's Speech? It, it was 2010, yeah. yeah. And I think, wow, okay, yeah. So, performances. Eddie Redmayne, great. Why wouldn't he be? Eddie Redmayne can deliver a performance. I don't think anyone's really disputing that at this point. Yes, he can deliver a performance. There does feel like something strangely run-of-the-mill about his performance, but that's not to say it's a bad performance. It's like saying Benedict Cumberbatch has delivered a run-of-the-mill... Benedict Cumberbatch's run-of-the-mill... It's just it's is, what you expect. It's, it's affable. It's, it's fantastic, bit, yeah. but we expect this of you. You know, I mean, it's one of those forces. You kind of get that from Eddie Redmayne as well. Alicia Vikander gets something more than you'd expect. It's actually kind of her story. And and yeah, Eddie Redmayne's more the bystander, even mm. though he's the focus of the story. He's He is the inciting incident. He is the inciting element of it. And then you've got Alicia Vikander who... Playing off that, yeah. Who, who's playing off it, but she's arguably the lead. And then, of course, your boy turns up. Oh, Matthias. Matthias. Yeah. Matthias Schunatz. Uh, yeah, Matthias Schunatz, Schunatz yeah. turns up to, uh, you know... Flashes, flashes baby blues at us, remind us all that he's a stunningly handsome man. And so you would have been forgiven then for going into this thinking this was just going to be the Eddie Redmayne show, volume two. Mm. But it's not. It's something more. It's more like the Alicia Vikander show. Um, now, where the film falls flat for me is uh, Tom Hooper's direction, which is very withdrawn and very distant for a film that is as emotionally sort of motivated as this. It's a mm. film that's all about emotion. It's all about you know embracing your inner self and feelings and warmth, etc., and yet you've got a director who wants to stand 20 feet away from proceedings at all times and that's very very strange it's very much his style though isn't it it is his so style so many shots in Le Mis where it's just like Anne Hathaway in a corner and then there's so yeah. much of the, like this empty big screen it does feel yeah. like hey Eddie I need a close up just stay right there and then he walks 40 feet backwards yeah. and now go and that's what lets it down it's for like me it's like the opposite of David Russell isn't it <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it is yeah. but he's, he's all up in Jennifer Lawrence's grill Exactly, and I think it feels really withdrawn for what it needs to be, and it feels like this sort of visually, it's a sort of sedated take on the King's Speech, I think, as Mm. well. Um, It's not his best work, but it's it's still pretty good. It's just too withdrawn. I think that saps a lot of the emotion Mm. out of it. I don't like the pacing of it. It, it it ramps up towards the end for it does ramp up. It it really races for the finish line, doesn't it? And, and then that's it. Because it's about final. Because that element of it is the last half hour, really, isn't it? It's like the last twenty minutes. Yeah, and it does feel like they sort of race through it a little bit too much. I mean, the mm. final three minutes kind of go by like a like that. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they really do. Um, mm. But do you know what? Hooper's uh, sorry. Hooper's withdrawal is uh, is sort of notable. Mm. But that's the problem. It's a disservice to an otherwise excellent picture. But you can't quite get over that disservice. 
So we should uh, probably finish the box office top ten. Oh yeah, let's do it. Let's do that. Number five, Snoopy and Charlie Brown: The Peanuts Movie in 3D. Now this was one I just felt like this was kind of out of its time. So you remember when they brought Mr. Peabody and Sherman back, and they had this unintentionally brilliant, yeah. cutting-edge right. work of deadpan right, humour. Yeah. This is no, they've not updated this in quite the same way. And Paddington was a better contemporary update than this. Mm. This feels like it is stuck in a different era, although it's done with computer graphics and 3D. So hey, the kids must love it, right? Yeah. Uh, the problem is, I don't really see the kids loving it. I, I just think I, I watched it as a Snoopy fan and just thought I kind of feel this doesn't, you know, justify the runtime. This feels a little flat, really. This just feels like what, what? Where's the film? Where's the story? And no, I mean, I say I just, I, I just really felt left out with it. Number four, the Danish girl. We've just been talking about. It. So I was say this is the problem because we haven't got to cover these things. So we'll, we'll leave the Danish girl then because obviously we have reviewed it. So <laughs> you know, you know our thoughts on it. The end. Number three. And speaking of which, Joy. Huh? What did we think of Joy? I don't know. Press it's rewind. Right. Press yeah. press rewind. It's it's on there somewhere. I think. Number two. Daddy's home. Now, this one got really snooty reviews, and I yeah, don't quite did. understand yeah. it. Um, the, the one thing I love about this is that uh, there, there is actually a TV spot for it that just says, critics are uh, critics are loving Daddy's Home. You know that they name one critic on that review, and that's Alex Zane. Literally oh, really? one critic they named on that TV spot. Amazing. And uh, funnily enough, he was unaware of that. But uh, what, what, what did he say? He's like, really? They did that? I'm like, yeah, they, they oh. really did that. You are the only person they named on it. Which I think is unfair. I gave that a damn good review. <laughs> he was on a DVD for I bought that I got the other day. Uh, the James Brown film, Get On Up. Oh. Uh, there was an Alex Zane quote that is nearly as bad as some of yours. Nearly as bad as some of mine. Yeah. It's not like the dressmaker will have you in stitches. It's something like that. It is. This film hits all the right notes. Oh, that, that is a very good one. Mm. So Daddy's Home, meanwhile, violently funny, uh, very engaged, very charming, uh, Fun little inversion of the uh, Will Ferrell Mark Wahlberg dynamic. Uh, there's a, a gag at the end that will just ab- will le- have you leaving the cinema in absolute stitches if you're a fan of these kind of films. Um, I really enjoyed it, and it's got Thomas Hayden Church in a brilliantly well balanced comedic role. He just absolutely steals the show. Um, have you seen the film? Have you seen I still not seen it. No. I recommend it because it, you will you will laugh, and they are violent, almost hurtful laughs. You you will really enjoy it. I think. Number one. Okay. Star Wars The Force Awakens. What a shocker. This is at the top of the I tree. Know. Who'd have yeah. funk it? Who'd eh? funk it? Um, this has made so much money. It has it has made all the money. <laughs> right, it is currently the US domestic champ. It's currently number one US domestic. Isn't it going to yeah, it is. It's gonna be the, the highest grossing film in the US ever, isn't it now? Uh, it is now. It is now. Yeah. It's As cost of- seven sixty barrier. Oh. God, and that was Avatar. Yeah. And wow. Well, who'd have thunk it? Hey, who'd have thought Star Wars might be popular? No. I mean, madness. Yeah, absolute madness. But you know what? It deserves every penny it gets because, wow, what, a, what an experience. What a yeah, great absolutely. film. Yeah. It's one of those films that you sit there and it opens. It's got, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And the minute that music starts, you're Just like, hit you, I'm, it? I'm back. I'm, 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 I'm nine. I'm, yeah, I'm nine <laughs> again. And I don't care how old you are, how big a fan you are, there is that moment of just breathless wow at the beginning of it. And. To, to be fair, to, to give J.J. Abrams the credit he deserves for this film, this is the film that proves to you that J.J. Abrams, in his own way, is an auteur. His storytelling, his actual narrative storytelling is a little bit derivative at times, but you know what? He can craft a tale better than most. Mm. And 
There is that great Amblin feeling to it, that oh, great yeah, classically yeah. Spielbergian George Lucas quality to it. That's all he's sort of a spiritual successor to that. Well, Spielberg, just, just watching a film like Super Eight, absolutely, you can you can see that influence, can't you? Exactly, and, yeah. and it really shows all the way through. He in a year that gave us uh, what was it? Ava and Ultron, he managed to win the robot competition with BB-8, which I think yeah, was absolutely was hilarious. Tough, and, uh, tough competition, Michelle. And we all got some kind of BB-8 product for Christmas. I know yes. you did. I bought you once. <laughs> Thank you very much for <laughs> your talking BB-8 plush. I oh, hope you're happy. So with good. It. You, do you cuddle that? Don't know, uh, occasionally, it's going to live in my car. Actually, uh, excellent. I excellent. But I am Poe. Oh, oh, okay, excellent. Yeah. And and of course, it gave us Ca- uh, Cameron Poe. Poe Dameron. <laughs> Cameron, Cameron Poe. Cameron Poe. Sorry, oh, Poe Dameron. That, that is a mashup that needs to happen. <laughs> that really is. Oh man, Cameron Poe and Star Wars, uh, yeah. played by Oscar Isaac. Who knew he could do this whole seventies, eighties adventure type aspect? I always knew it. <laughs> exactly. You've got John Boyega, Daisy Ridley, both a lot of fun. Yeah. And then there's Harrison Ford, who's clearly enjoying himself. Who and, is Han Solo? And he he's, is. He's, he's not just Harrison Ford being there, being no, old and grumpy. He is Han Solo. Damn it! It's amazing. Oh. So good, yeah. So enjoyable, and uh, that villain Kylo Ren, love him, yeah. And he, all I, of his like emo temper tantrums. Have, have I you love seen? Him. There is a Twitter account for emo uh, Kylo, Kylo Ren. Ren. It's amazing, <laughs> amazing. It really yeah. is. But uh, no, uh, I love the film. I thought it was a great experience, a good time film. It's a little bit derivative of an earlier Star Wars film, which we can't go into for spoiler reasons. But I will see it again. I will see it in every format going. I look forward to it immensely. <laughs> With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Just so you know, we dance to that every time oh, it yeah. comes on. That, that tied in so well. <laughs> it really did. The Star- I did. Oh, I did not mean that to happen. It just did. Yeah, sure. I didn't mean it to. Really? I really didn't. I had forgotten that Star Wars was number one. We are that professional. We, but we that, do great things. We, 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 we make magic without even trying. <laughs> We're like the opposite of George Lucas. But, uh, <laughs> he tries. Cheap, cheap dig, cheap dig. Although I did watch that Charlie Rose interview with him. Oh, I haven't um, I haven't seen it all yet. I've got a copy. I'll bring it over for you. Amazing. And, uh, yeah, I, I would say definitely worth a watch. Yeah. He uh, he has some interesting things to say. So, yeah. I've, I've read a couple of the snippets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just keep it there then. Mm. So, okay. So before we go on to uh, the big and controversial film of the week, um, <laughs> let's talk about... Uh, oh, the podcast. We've got to talk about the podcast because a lot of people listen mm. to this on radio and they only get sort of 40-minute cuts. And in some cases, like certain weeks, there's more films out than we get time to cover in yeah. those 40 minutes. We, we have so much to say. We do. We, we have, have so to many say on, on many yeah. subjects. Yeah. So what we do is we stick them after the end credits mm. on the podcast. So you can download the podcast for free on on iTunes and uh, you know uh, Acast and, and YouTube and all that all stuff. All those places. Go on to onscreenfilm.com and it gives you all the options in the off-screen section. And there's a little, little there's more after the credits. So yeah, you know, there's, there's, there is more off-screen for everyone, and we don't even charge you for the privilege. <laughs> So, uh, we've also got some competitions to go plug. And our, what have we got? Our first one of the year. You are going to love this. What, am I, am I going to want it? What a great one to start with. Straight out of Compton. Oh, yes. Straight out of Compton is hitting Amazing. DVD and Blu-ray on the 11th. Cool. And we are giving away the, these great sets. You know those sort mm-hmm. of that jacket that Dre always wears that looks like a... Uh, it's a black one with a yeah, black and white yeah, collar. Black and white collar. It's got that yeah. in it. It's got straight out Compton t-shirt. Oh, man, it's got straight out Compton record set. bag, quad poster... So yeah, pop along to Homescreen. We're we giving away any Beats products. <laughs> no Beats products. No, no Beats products. No Beats okay. products. <laughs> I'm Strictly Bose, so <laughs> I'm, that's fine. I'm Bose, not Beats. Um, yeah. So pop along to onscreenfilm.com, go in our competition section and get entering and win some some straight out of Compton swag, yeah. 
So we should uh, talk about uh, the Hateful Eight then. Um, let's do it. We should talk about first and foremost, film news wise. Let's talk, let's about, talk the about the controversy. Yeah, let's let's get that out, out of the way. Out of the way. Yeah. Uh, the film will not be showing in. Is it Cineworld? Cineworld Picture House, which are kind of the same, the same chain. Yeah, um, and Curzon. And Curzon. So yeah. those three chains will not be showing the Hateful Eight. For reasons that are being widely disputed at the moment, entertainment film distributors who are distributing the film yep. say one thing, Cine will say another, and the long and short of it is that they can't agree on terms, and so it won't be showing. A lot of people, a lot are of very people, annoyed. and they tend to be people who have unlimited cards, yes. and they are quite upset. They they all want refunds. They all want refunds for a film they haven't paid to see. But yes. uh, but you know what? Cineworld sent me an email uh, earlier, a marketing email, in which they they did tell me that they were showing Danish Girl and Joy. Oh, so that's good. Those you, films have been out for a week, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. So you can go and see those week old films instead. So on to the hateful eight then, which is as we are widely told in the marketing is yeah. the eighth film from Quentin Tarantino and centers around two bounty hunters who, well, one hit, one played by uh, Samuel L. Jackson, another played by Kurt Russell. Samuel L. Jackson is... Uh caught in the snow one day, hitches a lift with Kurt Russell, who happens to be passing by. Kurt Russell is transporting his bounty, played by uh, Jeva Jason Lee. Almost said Jennifer Lawrence Lee then. And, yeah. <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee. Interestingly, she was up for this role. Really? Jennifer Lawrence was, yeah. It does not shock me. Mm. And uh, they take refuge in a cabin, uh, Minnie's Haberdashery, which is a sort of known refuge for the night. Cabin for hire, so to speak, yeah. where a guest house, guest house would be the term. A guest house, for, yeah. Where they find themselves snowed in with a number, or six, was it five? Five, because there are eight in total. Yeah. Uh, five uh, nefarious different characters, one of whom happens to be the hangman of the town to which they are transporting Jennifer Jason Lee. And it is of that that we have a clip. What you say your name was again? Uh, Warren. Minnie and Sweet Dave in there? Minnie and Sweet Dave went to visit her mother on the north side of the mountain. What? Yeah. Minnie ain't here? Yes, they're visiting her mother. Her mother? Yes. <laughs> Never knew Minnie had a mother. Oh, everybody's got a mother. Okay, I totally got the wrong clip. I thought we were doing the Tim Roth Frontier Justice right. one. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot. I forgot that the eleventh hour. I changed the clip. <laughs> Change it to Bob the Mexican. Change it to Bob the Mexican. Yeah. Played by I, uh, I, Damien Bashir. That's how you pronounce his name. Damien yeah. Bashir. Yeah. Bashir, um, whom I'm a big fan of. I, I, I knew him from uh, Weeds years ago. Mm, oh, what was that fun film where I saw him in? Uh, it was called A Better Life. A Better Life. I did never saw that one. He was nominated for an Oscar. Was he? Uh, yeah. Oh, phenomenal. <laughs> so, well, he's not going to get nominated for, for this, I can tell you, because it's very much a comedic role and they don't yeah. like those. So, Hateful Eight. Uh, right, it is a bit of a mixed bag in one sense. What you've got is possibly the best film Tarantino has turned out in a good long while. On the other hand, you have the perfect example of all the things wrong with a Tarantino film, which is it is self-indulgent, it is overwritten, it is overlong, it is overblown, it is not as funny as it thinks it is, and the director's ego seeps in so much that at one point he finds himself narrating it. Mm. Twice. 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 Now... The cast are great. Uh, Kurt Russell and Walton Goggins, I think, are terrific in this. Oh, man, Walton Goggins is great in Walton this Walton Goggins gets a better arc in this than the bride and kill Bill. 
Yeah. And she had two films. Mm. Walton Goggins gets <laughs> half of a film here. And what a character arc. Like, for Tarantino, yeah. that's really something. Um, so this is going to become, I think, more widely known for its distribution uh, angle than anything else. Which is a shame. A bit shame of a shame. Will kind of be the famous remembered for. But what you've got is a stage play with some sort of Tarantino flair. It is Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs? I'm going to Jonathan Ross for a second there. Reservoir Dogs with a Western tinge, as it were. Mm. You've got this all-star cast. You've got Tim Roth, Michael Manson, uh, Bruce Dern. Yeah. What was I thinking? Oh, Channing Tatum, who I think is meant to be a twist, but his name is front and centre in the credits. Yeah, um, it's and Channing Tatum. Yeah, and you think, yeah. oh, Kevin. Well, he was, he was like, um, he's been left off the poster of the main poster and all of the marketing as well. He just... But you sit yeah. down to watch the film, the first thing it says is Anne Channing Tatum. Yeah. <laughs> and you think, what kind of ruins what would have been a good surprise otherwise? Good but, yeah. uh, never mind. I, I think he's really good in that role. Yeah. He's no, not, he, he's he's, very he long, is very but... good in it. And I did like Jennifer Jason Lee, although I did think it yeah. was a little bit thankless to the extent that, you know, Jennifer Lawrence could have done it and all you'd have to do was ugly her up slightly and she'd have pulled it off. Mm. Um... It's a all complaints about it, which and all of them seem to involve Tarantino, really the complaints. I mean, at one stage his preoccupation with race takes the form of panto dialogue uh, involving mm. a letter from Abraham Lincoln, and it's one of the more sort of eyebrow raising huh moments of the year. <laughs> but say all these complaints stand in the face of this otherwise very engaging and very interesting character drama. And that's what it is. It's very suspenseful character drama. Yeah. It tips its hand, I think, about by the end of the second act, it tips its hand and then turns into another character drama entirely. Sort of a Mexican standoff kind of a kind <laughs> of an affair. But it's very much Tarantino's forte. You do think that you could kind of you could have trimmed the fat off this and just have this be reservoir Reservoir Logs Reservoir Dogs length which was 100 minutes why this needs to be nearly 3 hours I'm not entirely sure yeah I think it clocks in about 2.45 somewhere about that that. um, in in certain places it has got like a halfway point it's got an intermission it does strangely in a lot of places the places that are showing it in 70 mil which is where the controversy comes from, I guess. Which is where the controversy comes from, yeah. Um, Let's say, there's great collaboration from uh, Robert Richardson, who's the cinematographer on this, was also the cinematographer on Kill Bill. Mm. Uh, Ennio Morricone, great score. that is one of my highlights. That one of your highlights? Yeah. For me, Because it's the thing. It's Ennio Morricone in the snow with Kurt Russell. It is, yeah. Yeah. What's not to love there? And I say, he seems to have struck, uh, Tarantino seems to have struck upon something of a dramatic forte here, um, the likes of which he hasn't attempted since Reservoir Dogs. And I think, Mm. yes, more like this please Quentin but please for the love of God trim it down you could do this in half the time stop with the three hour epics these aren't epics this, there's nothing epic about this film other than it's length and length oh, does not equal epic shots there's some great say, cinematography yeah, but yeah. length does not equal epic and tell that to Peter Jackson. Tell that to Peter Jackson. And the six Middle Earth films. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> three, no. three good ones. <laughs> exactly, that's what you say. It's not the length of it's what you do with it. And you have dragged this out far, far too long. It is a hateful film, true to its title, but you know what? It's brilliant as well. It's just a shame that it's as self-indulgent as it is. So... Film of the week. I'm, I'm going to give to. I'm going to give to Hateful Eight. Personally. You're going to give to. Well, yeah. I, but I, I haven't seen a war. You haven't it, seen a war. It does sound really good. You'd love the war. You'd love the war. Our war. You'd love, love our war. war. Not the war, but you'd love our war. <laughs> <laughs> you'd love it. And I uh, can't recommend it highly enough. Okay. Really, really good film. But next week's got some interesting stuff as well. Yeah. What have we got? Well, we've got uh, your your, your I, lady. I think I've yeah. I've, your lady's back next I, week. I have actually seen this. Have you seen this? Yeah. Brie Larson is back in. Room next mm. week, not the room. Room. I feel like so many people are going to call that the room. I, I no, think no, so. different film. Uh, we've Very also different. got the return of Rocky Balboa. 
Yeah, in Creed. Creed. Uh, oh, you're going to love this as well. John Cusack is back next week, and this time he's teaming up with Jackie Chan for Dragon Blade. Oh, man. Uh, we've also got Breakdown and the one that we've all been waiting for. Inuritu is back yeah. with The Revenant. He's going to bring us Tom Hardy. He's going to bring us Donald Gleeson. And most importantly, he's going to bring us the man who shall never win an Oscar, Leonardo DiCaprio. I thought you were going to say, and finally, he's going to bring Leo that Oscar. <laughs> is he? Well, he, is he well, Leo's never getting the Oscar. He's, he's going to be Peter O'Toole. Exactly. Leo's going to be in his 80s and he's going to get a Lifetime Achievement Oscar. That's what's going yeah. to happen. <laughs> so we've got all those to come and more next week off screen. This has been the Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been Case Allen. And we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, Podcast extra time, Mr. Arn. So, you know, we, got, we had a shed load of film news that we, we didn't get to cover. There was loads. Oh, we so did. much. There was so much. Oh, yeah. did you hear about uh, John Rambo is being retired, but mm. Rocky Balboa will return, according to Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. So we, we will be which, back which is in, interesting, because Rambo was supposed to have a show, wasn't it? Oh, no, that show's still going ahead, but oh, now it's it? going to be about his son. And is is Sly involved at all? No, no. Stallone said, "I don't want to be involved because okay. I've seen okay. I've seen the son of Flicker, I've seen the son of Godzilla, <laughs> I've seen the son of King Kong. It never works out when it it's the son." You know, like, oh, fair enough, Sly. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> did you know about Sunset Boulevard? This don't is think this so, is no. this is kind of an interesting one. So Glenn Close is doing an upcoming stage musical adaptation of Sunset Boulevard. It's okay. going to start on April first in the West End at the London Coliseum, I believe. And well, it's now being considered for a big screen adaptation as well, really? which potentially could still star Glenn Close. So oh, she's she's always solid, isn't she? Why not? Yeah. Uh, right, take this one with a pinch of salt because it comes from the Daily Star. And, uh, sorry, Alan Frank, if you're listening. Uh, right, so Christoph Waltz is apparently set to return for two more Bond films as Franz Oberhauser. I don't want let's, him. Let's, let, let's keep the name there. Yeah. Uh, you don't want him, fine. <laughs> but you may not get him because there's a very specific condition applied to his return, which is he can only return if Daniel Craig returns I don't because want they either. want to keep the continuity intact. I know yeah. you don't want them. Stop saying you don't want them. No one wants them. <laughs> Okay, I don't know. People seem to want yeah. Daniel Craig. I'll, I'll, have, I'll have him for one more film, and I think that's what we're going to get. Can we honest. please not just have James Purefoy now as Bond and get it over with and have a, and have a fun Bond again? Fun Bond. Yeah, just get James yeah. Purefoy in there. He would be a good Roger Moore-esque Bond. I, I, think, he, yeah. I think he, no, I want to see him go like really sleazy Sean Connery. You know, oh, okay. where he's like ass-slapping and things. <laughs> it's 2016, man. I don't think we can do that. That would make Bond so much more memorable, wouldn't it? So, oh, have you heard about the Turtles villain? Yeah, it, crank. It could be crank. It could be crank. No. Yeah. And they haven't hired Dara O'Brien to play the body, which is, I think, that, a That's a bit of a misstep. That, 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 that's a misstep. But here's the part. I love uh, uh, Michael Bay has has announced that Krang won't have the tentacles, you know, his little arms that he has, yeah, yeah. because, this is the quote, he looks like a stupid octopus. Now, if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about the people who are creating the Turtles movies at this stage, yeah. nothing will. Uh, that would want the Turtles to be dark and gritty. Yeah, dark yeah. and gritty, you know, like dark Superman. Um, yeah, Christopher Nolan has ruined, ruined it for everyone. <laughs> it kind of has, hasn't he? So, um, this is the one I love. You know the Daredevil Netflix series? 
Oh, I know this. Oh, this yeah. is so good. So, when is that going to be uh, coming when, out, when, When's that going to be coming out? Well, funnily enough, the same day as Batman Superman is in cinema. I know what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I would rather be at home watching Batman Superman, yeah. rather home watching Daredevil 2, because it's got yeah. Punisher in it, and I'm a yeah. huge Punisher fan. I'm and more Electra. I like Electra as well. I'm, I can take or leave Electra, but, but I'm, Punisher, more, yeah. I'm more a Punisher fan than I am a Batman fan. I'm more of a John Bernthal fan than... I know you are. It, yeah. I know you love, you love your John Bernthal. I, so. I love him as like a history teacher. Yeah, Because you wish you wish he was your history teacher. That's, that's what it Absolutely. Is. After watching me and Earl and Dying Girl, yeah. Yeah, I also wish that Earl was my friend. <laughs> so, Jet Li and Tony Tony Jaa have joined the cast of Triple X Three, otherwise yeah. known as Triple X: The Return of Xander Cage. Mm. Now, this is that's an interesting combo because it is it being is. filmed in the Philippines as well. So, I think we can say it is going for a bit of Asian flair now. It is, yeah. And you've got uh, Depita Padacone, the Bollywood actress, as the love interest. So, this is okay. very much going to be an Eastern film. It's going for that Eastern money, I think. Which, funnily enough, mm. I believe was the script that Vin Diesel wanted them to make for the sequel which he then turned down that became Triple uh, X2 mm. so ah bit of this is this one's interesting so Alex Garland who brought us Ex Machina has cast um, Tessa Thompson who is the love interest in Creed she's the female mm. lead in Creed uh, he has cast her alongside Natalie Portman and Gina Rodriguez in his upcoming film Annihilation which is the first part of a trilogy referred to as the Southern Reach trilogy. I'm not familiar I'm with not the books. Sure. It's uh, apparently it's about a team of female scientists who go into a place called Area X, uh, which is a place where the rules of nature no longer apply. So okay. yeah, it could be interesting. Uh, oh, Tim Roth has finally admitted that United Passions, that god awful FIFA movie he did, yeah. he has now admitted he did it for the money. I want to know how much he got paid. Well, how much he, everyone got paid. He did say that it was enough to put both of his kids to put his kids through college. I'm not sure it was both of them. But he said it paid for his uh, children to go through college. That reminds me of that Simpsons bit with like the hot dog vendor. Ladies, put my kids through college. Just stop following my husband around. <laughs> but that's it. He's now admitted that. You're like, yes, thank you, Tim. You've no, restored honestly. my faith in you. Yeah. Can we please get like a one-off TV movie now to tie up the end of Lie to Me? Mm-hmm. Uh, right, one final bit. And you've got to love this one because this is... Clearly nonsense. Uh, Michael Bay has confirmed that he will be directing the fifth Transformers movie, but insists that it will be his last. Yeah. One less ride. <laughs> well, it's, that's the thing. It's like the Fast and Furious movies, isn't it? Where it's always one last ride. One less trilogy of films. Yeah, it's always one last, yeah. oh, it's, it's, it's one last it's trilogy, one last though, trilogy, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Michael, we believe you totally. Yeah, this will be the last of your Transformers movies. Okay, totally. Of course, ignoring the fact they're not going to change the films if he stops doing them, are they? Because hmm. they make too much money now. Make a sick amount of money. <laughs> they make an obscene amount of money. Yeah. And, well, that's kind of unfair. But, you know, well, that's all we have for the film news this mm. week. So, that's kind of a shame. Although, we do get to uh, to debut our new way of ending the podcast extras. Oh, yeah. And we're, we're, quite, uh, we're quite proud of this. So, here it is, your moment of cage. I'm a vampire! 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 